Hello, hello, and welcome to CBET's podcast. Now, I'm sure you are all in the merry spirit after Thanksgiving. And so we are starting a new topic called Advent as we lead up to Christmas and as we lead up to New Year. So thank you for joining us. We have Pastor Isaac Bennett, who's going to help uncover what it really means, Advent. Yeah, it sounds a little liturgical, high churchy for some of us. (laughs) So we're going to demystify it in this uh, episode and as we kind of uh, begin to... Uh, get ready for the hyper consumeristic uh, journey that's that, right. in America. That's right. That is always the challenge. <laughs> so anyway, we're so glad that you're joining us for this uh, series because yeah, I think um, when I when I when I think about um, uh, the whole the way we're positioned as the Center for Biblical End Time Studies, and of course this podcast that's been staring at the return of Jesus, the coming of mm-hmm. the Lord. Sure. Uh, I can think of no greater unifying um, attribute of the church mm. than its focus on Advent. Mm. I mean, yeah. you got so many different churches that are always thinking about it. Every year they repeat the That's same right. liturgy. And it's it's honestly, I think, the most helpful to bring us together under our shared hope, our blessed hope. Yeah. So this is this is cool. I'm excited cool. about talking about uh, Advent this year. So yeah. Yeah. why don't you help us, Isaac? Why don't you... Um, okay, what, what is Advent? What did, where did the word come from? Like... What are we dealing here, here with? Yeah, yeah. So the the word Advent is a, is a Latin term um, from the Latin word Adventus, and it essentially means, you know, we translate it as coming or appearance. Hmm. Um, what's really interesting about the term Advent and even the Advent season is that it doesn't it doesn't just only focus on the first coming of Jesus. And I think um, many throughout the body of Christ, as they observe Advent, there's really this emphasis on the coming of the Lord um, at his first coming, Bethlehem, the baby in the manger, and so forth. Um, It really was developed by the early church to be a reflection on the coming of the Lord, both comings, actually, which I think is really important. Hmm. Uh, One guy said, you know, if you take away... In the New Testament, if you take away all of the passages that talk about the birth of Jesus, you know, the shepherds, the wise men, and whatever, you only lose about two chapters of material. If you take away information about the um, resurrection and the second coming, you lose nearly the entirety of the New Testament. Oh, wow. And so, you know, the season of Advent is both, um, you know, retrospective as we look back at the incarnation and its meaning and derive meaning from that. But then we also begin to look forward and gain some real keys of understanding to the second advent of Christ, the appearance of Christ. So that's interesting because a lot of the world celebrates Christmas, not really knowing the true meaning and certainly not thinking about the second coming of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. So it's so different. Yeah, I, I think I think the apostles and the early church fathers if they were to sit down with the nominal, you know, western Christian and and talk to them about the coming of Christ, I think they would be shocked to learn that everything that we do as you know, American Christians or, or Western Christians is not through the lens of the coming of the Lord. Um, there's over yeah. 80 references in the New Testament that are pastoral exhortations. And so it's it's talking about like avoiding sin and yeah. loving your wife or whatever. And it's all done through the lens of the day of the Lord and the day of judgment. Like we live in a specific way um, in relation to Christ because mm-hmm. of the coming of the Lord. So there's always this future, you know, you know, it's our blessed hope. We're looking forward to wow. this, the, the coming, the advent of Christ. Wow. And so just a couple other things I found interesting about um, advent in the word is that it doesn't just mean 
you know, this kind of appearance, but it also means um, this arrival. Um, it means to come to something. It means to develop something. Mm-hmm. And it's taken um, in relation to this verb um, in the Latin that refers to an invasion, an incursion, and a ripening and, a, and an appearance. Okay, so it's very like eschatological in the way that they would have understood, speaking of the early church fathers especially, and as they developed this like kind of traditional season of observing this time together. But there's this, you know, listen to these words, invasion, incursion, a ripening, you know, and in this appearance. I don't um, even think I know how to spell those words. It's so, well, you know, it's so, <laughs> neither do I. Luckily, we have the internet. Praise but God. it's so eschatological oh, yeah. for real. in its meaning. You know, I, I it, a few years ago, maybe three years ago, I'm not sure, my wife and I, um, we, we uh, did this awesome thing. We got to go to the Kansas City Symphony and listen to um, the Hallelujah, Handel's Messiah. Handel's, oh, so and um, I, I actually never heard anything other than you know, the, the hallelujah chorus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, but um, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about Handel's Messiah at all other than that. And well, one, I was really bored with some of the parts, but two, I was really shocked mm. by, you know, and it was because the reason I say this, sorry, I you're laughing it. at no, me. No, I just love this. <laughs> I love Handel's Messiah. I, I just, it. just the way they're like, oh, 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 oh rage. Um, <laughs> They're like you know, it's just kind of like wow, that's that's a lot of runs there. That's a lot of syllables <laughs> yeah. for one word. But 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 the, the thing is <laughs> that that I was shocked by they're singing Psalm two. Like yeah. I I literally opened my phone to Psalm two, and and I matched it with the lyrics on their program. And I'm like they're singing Psalm two. You yep. know, they're singing "Why do the nations rage?" and you know, and they're they're declaring "Wow, glorious!" And of course, Handel's Messiah is kind of a staple. Chris Advent season song, right. or you know, that you listen to, and of course, I mean, it cl- climaxes right. This is a very long uh, production, but it climaxes with this explosive "Hallelujah for He is come." You know, this this statement uh, just majestic. Of course, that's why everybody loves Handel's Messiah. Yeah. Right. It's like it ends with such a explosive, regal. You know, He is here to yeah. come right. to rule and to reign, and so I, I find that that. Like you're saying, this this word Advent, you know, you're, we're seeing all this this uh, militant, this language of of you know, kind of uh, um, dominance and all this mm-hmm. stuff, and and I, I'm seeing it like I feel like Christmas songs are the easiest pathway to understand right. His coming because they're so rich with this kind of you know language. Yeah, and not only that, you know, when we read the story in the New Testament of the coming of Messiah, it shows us. A, a lot of keys and ways that we're to respond to his second coming. Um, and so I've been looking at some of the ways in which the people that recognized him as Messiah um, in the ways that they actually receded, they were ready for his coming. So obviously there's Anna and Simeon mm-hmm. and they're ready because of this spiritual preparation of right. prayer and fasting. Luke chapter two, they're engaged with the Holy Spirit through this lifestyle of prayer and fasting. It prepares them for the coming. Then you have, you know, Mary and Joseph and you have this angelic visitation 
that prepares them. Gabriel appears, you know, the Lord speaks to Joseph in this dream. So you have this supernatural preparation that's happening. And then you have the signs in the heavens that are preparing the wise men to actually respond and come from the East. And so when you take those into account, you have the group that's praying and fasting. You have those that are um, engaged with these angelic encounters. And then you have those that are engaged with wonders and signs in the heavens. Right. I mean, that really is Joel chapter two, Come Acts on. chapter yeah, two, that's, that's preparing the church for the coming of the Lord. He goes, I'm going right. to I'm going to send signs in the heavens, wonders on the earth, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. There's going to be signs that prepare people for the advent of Christ in the similar way wow. of the first coming as as yeah. to the second coming as well. And so it's just really Gosh. interesting. Then you have Herod. He's also responding yeah. ironically yes. to the birth of Messiah, but he's obviously doing it out of that Psalm 2, the rage of the nations against right. the anointed one and going, his power is threatened. So the world is responding in a negative way to the coming of the Lord, because uh, meaning the secular, the unbeliever is responding in a negative way because their power base is threatened. Yeah. Whatever Right. that be their idols are threatened and then you have those that are believers that are responding in the positive yeah, way yeah, yeah. through angelic encounter and signs and wonders and wow. miracles and all these different things now I, you, you're touching on this point and I'm, I'm just curious and, and, and no, you can, but I have a quick que- a question um, you know you were talking about how like some of them were ready to receive you know like Messiah they, they kind of understood right. who he was and right. what was going on but it seemed like the majority of the characters in, in the story didn't really know what was going on. In fact, I've heard people argue, and it was my argument, actually, uh, when I, w- I was wondering, about, like, why are we putting so much attention on the return of Jesus? Like, they didn't know what was going on in his first coming. How can we think that we'll know what's <laughs> yeah. happening in the second yeah. coming? Right. Um, can you touch on that? Because I know you were hinting on it a little bit, and so could you just kind of develop that a little more? Like, how yeah. can, did Jesus expect, does he expect us to know? Did he expect mm-hmm. them to know? Like, uh, you know, because the Pharisees, they were students of the Bible, you know, right. like, they, they, they really... They really knew the, the law, yet yeah. somehow they didn't know what was going on around Jesus' yeah. coming. I heard Art Katz talk on this one time, and he basically began to break down how, you know, the people, the nation of Israel was under and this Isaiah 6 curse. And essentially, by rejecting the prophetic witness over and over and over and over again, there had been this spirit of stupor that had come upon the heart. And, you know, it's the, it's the passage we all know that having eyes they will not see, having ears yeah. they will not hear. I mean, Jesus quotes that to them um, in terms of the hard-heartedness and spirit of unbelief that's coming. And so, you know, my hope is that as, mu- as much as possible, the nations, as we come nearer that second advent of Christ, come out from under that spirit of stupor. Um, we know that that trend probably isn't going to occur. It's probably going to get more <laughs> right. diluted. I mean, you know, Second Thessalonians 2, he's giving them a spirit of stupor because they do not love the truth. Right. And so, you know, the, the trajectory of, <laughs> I think, of society and culture is very negative in that regard to receive him as, as Messiah. But that's what's so important about even the Advent season is that it alerts us to the coming. Will you be, you know, it kind of asks, will you be one of the ones that responds, that responds to God in a way that you may not expect. The last thing they were expecting was God to become yeah. flesh. Yeah. That was the absolute last thing they were coming. Yeah. So so how did how did God convince a bunch of 
uh, you know, first century Jews that he was God, Yahweh incarnate, um, you know, in, in, in the life of ministry of yeah. Jesus. It's yeah. really, it's a really powerful thing. So in other words, he's going to manifest in ways the earth is not ready for, right. even That's, the religious. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got to cultivate that heart of, of tenderness before the Lord and yeah. receptivity yeah. to him. And I think you can even see that clearly in Elizabeth. It, I mean, she's Mary's, what is it, cousin? Right. Auntie, and I'm not sure. And Mary goes to her. She's pregnant. She's like, hey, just to let you know, the Lord visited me and I'm pregnant. And Elizabeth didn't kick her out, but the Holy Spirit resonated within her. And she yeah, the like, child yes. leaps within her and womb. It's, and it's a beautiful it's picture, wild. but it's like, okay, Elizabeth wouldn't have been a lady who studied the Bible for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. She she didn't wasn't visited by an angel. But from my thinking, she was just an ordinary woman going about life. Yes. And then she felt the Holy Spirit draw near to her and she was like, Well, I'm gonna believe this. I yeah. believe I receive and I act on it. That's beautiful. So I think it's just a stunning little picture even there. Yeah. It's so good. It's a it's a posture of humility. Yeah. Which I'm sure we'll get to. So it, anyway, as we're building this thing right now, it seems like we we're somewhere in between, you know, the culmination That's of right. the promises. That's right. Yeah, we're living in what's called the intra-advent period. So we're living between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And um, I think it's important that as Christians, that we not see ourselves as outside of the biblical narrative and storyline of God, but rather to see ourselves right in the midst of the story. Oftentimes, I think we wrongly relate to Scripture. We read the Scripture, we go, well, that's something that happened way back in the past. It Mm. doesn't really relate to me. And I'm kind of waiting for a few future things to come. I'm waiting for the coming of Jesus, you know, the second coming, the new heavens, the new earth, etc., but, um, but I think it's important that believers begin to see themselves as part of the story, much like Anna and Simeon did. They, were, they weren't going, well, Messiah is just coming someday, so I'm just okay. going to go on with life as usual. But there was this intentional engagement with what the Holy Spirit was emphasizing in their generation. I think that's really important. That's one of the things that, that we can learn from the Advent season is I want to participate in what Holy Spirit is doing in right. my generation. Yeah. And there's a tangible way, there's a practical way that we actually do that as believers. Right. Living as if he's coming tomorrow, even though we know that there are things that are right. needing to be set up before that takes place. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe we can move into more like, okay, because I'm hearing this. This is awesome. But to, to really get like where the rubber meets the road, mm-hmm. we know the story of his first coming. I mean, that's that's been, I mean, you know, being Protestant, that's kind of like what you get <laughs> or evangelical, even even more intense. Sure. Like you, you learn about Jesus's life and ministry. And that's such a noble thing. So how can how does some of the key like maybe maybe you can help us understand some keys of how the the first coming of Jesus uh, can help us understand his second coming sure yeah I think um, I think one of the ways is to think of Jesus in terms of being a real human being a corporeal entity <laughs> you know a yeah, he has yeah. flesh and bones um, the the very fact you know and we, and we know this from the story but that God became man that there was this moment of, of transaction. I mean, think about this. I was meditating on this even this morning. There was a moment where the word that was in heaven, the eternal word, the second person, the Trinity, he transferred from being in heaven in the presence of the Father and the Spirit to being at this in, inside of a woman's womb. And he, he took on humanity. There was a real moment that that occurred. And then when he was born, you know, Mary's looking down and it's, you know, one of the Christmas carols, you know, he, she, she, Mary kisses the face of God, 
you know, just to think about that, not even <laughs> Moses, who's probably, you know, in the Bible, the, the one that was closest to the Lord yeah. as far as his interaction and relationship, you know, it says, friend you know, that, that he's a friend of God, that, he, that the Lord talks to him face to face as one with a friend. There's a moment where Mary likely is the very first person to kiss the face of God wow. wearing flesh. So oh, that's really significant because he's the eternal word. Um, they're around a being that has been in existence for eternity, but they can hold him and and hug him and hear him speak and hear him sing and hear him interact with human. I mean, it's just a bizarre idea. And so when we allow those that sense of awe and wonder to kind of begin to touch our heart, then what we do is we we take that understanding and we begin to look forward to the future. Right. When he comes, he's not just a force. He's not just a power. Yeah. He's not just a ghost or this celestial being that's this demigod kind right. of raining down arrows or lightning bolts mm-hmm. upon his enemies, you know, as, as, as yeah. often depicted. But he's a real human being that you can kiss or reject that you can interact with and interface with. So when he comes, that second coming, what the first coming shows us is that he's very intimate with his friends and his enemies. He he gets engaged with them very close. Judas, the one that betrays him, betrays him with a kiss. There's this nearness yeah. that God is not afraid of in terms of dealing with his adversaries. Wow, so what happens in the day of judgment? Well, we begin to see like Isaiah 63 in different passages where he's trotting the winepress of his enemies and his blood, you know, their blood is sprinkled upon his robes and he's, we're with him, we're seeing him face to face, verse John says, I mean, there's just so, there's this intimate connection and fellowship Mm -hmm. because as much as I think we understand Christ as being God in the flesh, it's hard because we don't see him now and we don't, we don't interact with him in the way that the apostles did. Um, or that his family did, or that you know that Mary did, but there's coming a day when we will, yeah. and the nations will, and the kings of the earth will, and and wicked rulers, and the the whole earth is going to interact with him in such this near right. and intimate and powerful way, and so again the the connection between the first coming, the incarnation, the second coming is it bridges that gap yeah. between the supernatural, the unknown, the transcendent. And the very real and palatable and meaningful to us in our lives. Yeah, you know, I love I love how you how you how you describe that because um, it, it's like God really did become man, and we don't have even though that's a really big leap, you know, it's a huge theological leap. We don't have a problem with that yet because He has not returned, we seem to etherealize that, you mm-hmm. know, like. Well, yeah, he really came, but he's he ascended, and now it's all symbol- like it's all this. And I, I love that you're making this key here to understanding a second that it's going to be a real, bodily, literal right. coming of the king right. from the clouds on the planet Earth, yeah. physically, corporally. You know, there's a right. there's a real physicality yeah. to it and an intimacy to it that he's imminently here. Right, and that's what the angels tell. All the people that are there, the witnesses of the ascension in Acts chapter 1, in verse 10, it says, in like manner, he's going to return. And many people have, I think, misunderstood that, mistranslated that. They just have taken that to mean when Jesus returns, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives because of Zechariah 14, the, you know, the mountain's going to split in two. But they didn't say he's going to return. They said in like manner. 
he's going to come back. And so for them, what they're witnessing at the, at the Ascension is the most mind-blowing. I mean, it's, it's as crazy as he's back from the dead. He's a man with a body who's eating meals with them. He's ascending. He's going up, floating into the clouds. And they're standing there. And how do we know they're so surprised? Because they're not looking away. He's gone. Yeah. He he is out of their sight. He's gone to the right hand of the Father Crazy. as a man. Yeah. And they're standing there gawking. And then the angels come. It, you know, they kind of interrupt them. And they're like, hello. You know, they didn't even <laughs> notice that there were angels there. That's yeah. because they were so transfixed by the yeah. miracle and the power of what was coming. Yeah. And so when they say in like manner, that term manner means the same mode, the same method. And, and what transfixed them about that ascension is the same thing that's going to transfix the nations at the second advent is that he's coming in that same mode as a man. He's yeah. going to appear right. in the sky as a human being with flesh and bones, and he's yeah. going to come down to the earth and deal with his adversaries. I mean, that is, that needs to make us you know, tremble a little bit, but that should embolden our witness even now yeah. as we give witness to who he is and what yeah. he's doing and why he's doing it. It's like Gosh. the creeds say, you know, that just as he ascended, he will descend again. It's that, it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's like a, uh, like a slingshot, you know? Yes. Like it's this, but it's coming back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the way that I see it. Wow. Right. So help me understand maybe, um, a little bit more about like, uh, about the prophetic scriptures, you know, cause the first coming, you know, we mm -hmm. have, we in Isaiah uh, nine, we have different things that talk about, you know, he's born in Bethlehem, he's, you know, the, the Nazarene, sure, all of these things, born of a virgin. Um, how does that help us? Because if I feel like there's kind of this, um, you know, duality, and you were mentioning that there, there's a lot more on the second coming than the first coming. So can you just touch on that a little bit? How the how the prophetic scriptures, uh, you know. Uh, interact with the second coming. Yeah, they, inf they inform us, you know, in this Advent season. I think if you were to lay out, and few believers actually do this, but if you're to lay out all the passages, references and inferences in the Old Testament that describe the coming of Christ, we're shocked, or we should be shocked, at how accurate they are. We're actually not normally shocked about it, but <laughs> no, we should be, because, because it really should inform our hermeneutics. It should right. inform the way in which we understand and that we translate the prophetic scriptures. We see them uh, fulfilled with such precision, yeah. with such insight. So there's over 400 Old Testament references to the Messiah. And you can look at them up. You can find them on the internet. It's really easy. There's mm -hmm. tons of lists out there. Okay. And when you begin to look at them and put them all together, there's like this, this sense that I get of like the fear of the Lord. It's like, wow, you like, you really said this stuff, wow. like, and you really did it. And so there's this, you know, raging debate in the body of Christ whether we should interpret the prophetic scriptures in a literal plain sense understanding or if they are symbolic, if they're allegorical in terms of, again, the nature of his second advent. Right. And of course, you know, we're arguing at the Center for Biblical End Time Studies where arguing for the former, that we want to take a literal, plain-sense understanding of the prophetic scriptures, of the references to the coming of Christ. And so just to highlight, I mean, you mentioned Isaiah chapter 9, but I mean, you know, just some of these other passages, Isaiah 53, which you know, but, you know, Isaiah 53 verse 12, it says, he pours out his soul 
and the death. He's numbered with the transgressors. I mean, there's just such accuracy and yeah. precision okay. there. We're not, we don't have to read Isaiah 53 verse 12 and make that symbolic of something. Right. He, he really was numbered among transgressors. Right. Yes. Uh, you know, he's hanging between the two thieves on the cross. Um, some of these other ones, Zechariah 9, 9, you know, your salvation is coming and he's coming lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt. I mean, that's so <laughs> precise. That's so plain sense value. Yeah. I can imagine that even the literal nature of that being fulfilled, you know, at the triumphal entry on Palm right. Sunday, yeah. being so surprising to yeah. the people in Israel, they're going, oh, I, Zachariah actually said that. Like he's supposed to come on a donkey yeah. and he's coming through the Eastern gate because he's a king and that's where they would coronate the kings and, and that type of thing. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the, the famous one, Micah 5.2, yeah. that says, uh, but you, Bethlehem, though you're little among the thousands, out of you comes forth to me the one that's to be the ruler in Israel. Yeah. You don't have to be a scholar or theologian <laughs> yeah. to understand that, right? Very like, plain and clear. Like even the scribes at the birth of Christ understood that because when the wise men come to Herod, he inquires of the scribes and he says, where's the Messiah supposed to come? And they said, oh, he's actually from Bethlehem. Yeah. And so then, you know, Herod is enraged and he goes off and, and murders all the children. Yeah. But Herod had a plain sense understanding of the scripture right. and he got it right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he was really right. Yeah. And um, there is a right and there is a wrong. And I'm not claiming that everything that I believe or or that we would teach here is all right, but there really is a a, a sense of understanding that we're to have yeah. from the scriptures. Yeah. And so again, back to the original question, one of the things that the first advent informs us of is the nature by which God will fulfill his promises. Okay. He will fulfill them precisely. Precisely. He will fulfill them completely. He will fulfill them in a plain sense value that wow. now we're sitting here 2,000 years removed from these events. We line up the 400 passages, let's say, that speak of the first advent. We look at them and we're like amazed yeah. um, at how precise they were and how accurate they were. And that, that informs us of how we're to take those same passages and look forward to that second advent, his, his coming. Wow. That's and that's particularly helpful. Like, you know, I think that in in this sense, I, I you know, it's it's plain and it's clear, you know. But then, for example, I mean, I, I I'm studying and reading a lot of commentaries these days, mm -hmm. just because of my, my the nature of my education right now, where I have to do that kind of stuff, and and just to realize how like it says, I the apostle of you know Paul, you know whatever he's like, his salutation is very clear. It's Paul, and. Source criticism is a thing. Like, I mean, it's like, was it really written by Paul? Was this right. really written by John? There is not a, I mean, it's like, you know what I'm saying? So now we, we, we're, we're going to a completely ethereal reality when it comes to interpreting scripture. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the wrong starting point. I think that let's look at the track record here mm -hmm. of the, prof right. the prophetic scriptures. Right. They were pointing to something that was very clear. Yeah. And, and, and what of it was symbolic? Because let's be fair. Right. What of it was symbolic? Okay, where, whenever it says it's symbolic or it's metaphorical or it's obviously a symbolic thing, then clearly that's what it was meaning, you know? Sure. But, uh, but there's some real precise, physical, real, actionable stuff that was predicted that happened. Yeah. Right. So what of the future prophetic things can we look forward to that will be precise, will be clear, physical, actionable, you know, and I think that helps us maybe with, with another way to help, to help see the second coming, which would be uh, that, that, uh, that, it, that 
that in many ways that we can ha- we can have eyes to see by looking mm-hmm. at what the scriptures say about mm-hmm. the coming right you know the coming of the lord yeah and yeah in the gospels i mean matthew out of the four gospels um he's really the 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 premier guy on this in terms of even the first coming i mean he's quoting Old Testament passages left and right. You know, they they <laughs> yeah. say that the Gospel of Matthew is really written for the Jewish reader, right. um, the one that's instructed in the law and the prophetic scriptures and that type of thing. And I think we learn a lot from Matthew. Yeah. You know, he's because he's weaving into the narrative all of these signposts, all yeah. of these hinge pins that we hang the current contemporary events upon what was foretold. And so I think that we do that same thing the near that we get to the day of the Lord. I think that we hang the contemporary events on things that have been foretold in Scripture because it helps to understand what right. God is unfolding within our generation. And the last thing that we want to do is be resistant to the move of the Spirit within our generation. And how many people, like you mentioned earlier, Reuben, how many people were resisting or not acknowledging the coming of Messiah? I mean, his right. own brothers yeah. did not take him seriously. Yeah. His own brothers. You know, how much more dorky me living in Midwest Missouri? It's like, <laughs> it's like, Lord, help me understand. Give yeah. me eyes to see. Give yeah. me ears to hear what's actually transpiring. And so I think that, um, I think that there's an invitation into wisdom I think there's an invitation into humility. I think there's an invitation into watchfulness. Yeah. And those are some of the, the attributes that we see Jesus emphasizing. Like I right. think of Mark 13, verse 33, where he says, what I say to you, I say to you all, watch, be watchful, watch and pray as you see these things transpiring in your own generation. And um, and then you have, you know, just humility gets you a long way. Yeah. You don't have to be smart or even that watchful if you're yeah. just humble, like the shepherds, you know, you're just a humble shepherd in the field and an angel shows up and says like, yeah. hey, go worship the child. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to go worship the child. Yeah. So if you're humble, like it'll it'll position you rightly during that time. And so I just think that's so critical I love the body that. of Christ. I, I mean, I love how you mentioned being watchful because I think, be, you know, I... I, I you know, we always say at, at CBATS here, we always say that there are 150 chapters in the Bible where the primary message is sure. about the generation in which the Lord returns. And there's, and of course, we contrast it with the 89 chapters in the four Gospels that, which it's not super, like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not that simple. But the point is, there is a lot more said about the return of Jesus, the second advent, right? The, yeah. the second coming. For sure, more than we're paying attention to. Yeah, and us. definitely more than the first coming. I mean, the, the, yes. the explicit... You know, there's a lot of things that haven't happened yet, and I think um, another key that that we've been highlighting right now is is related to that, right? That that um, that there's so much that has yet to happen, mm-hmm. and the more we meditate and stew on the scriptures and realize mm-hmm. there's a real new earth coming where my child can stick his hand in the de- viper's den mm-hmm. and and have fun, play with the viper rather than you know getting bitten getting bitten <laughs> facing death and me whatever there's a real earth where the lion will hang out with the lamb mm-hmm. where there's a real planet of yeah. perfect peace and equity where there's no more injustice and sure. you know and so I, I think that the more we lean into those passages the more we read into them in context to what how connected they are with the first coming that that happened so precisely and so fully yeah that we can we can actually begin to gain hope in our hearts yeah. right and and look forward for that be watchful and wise looking for the day and, and of course as eventually give in to the eager desire of the day of his appearing you know sure. the yeah. longing god 
th- it won't make sense until you do this. It's not right. a fatalistic abandonment through some mystical right. philosophy like, oh, this is so much an ideal, so forget life. No, it's like, oh, we want that so much. Right. So what is, okay, so Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom. Oh, let me, let me fund missions. Let me, you know, let me cultivate the message. Let me share with my neighbors. Like, it's backwards. You know, a true understanding of, of, of the promises it mobilizes the church to act, to yeah, participate. Yeah, out of apathy, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, the objectives of God are the same. Like, he's, First John 1 tells us that he's manifest because he wants fellowship with us. Right. That's why he's yeah. coming. Yeah. Like, he came out of his own volition. And the second coming is the same. He wants fellowship. Like, Jesus is coming back to rid the earth of sin so that the Father can dwell, you know, in the new Jerusalem, in the, yeah. in the new heavens and new earth. And, and so that, like you said, that really motivates us, that touches our heart in a different way. If we begin to equate the advents of God with God's desire of fellowship with us, union with us, you know, it's the John 17 prayer, then it begins to change the way in which we live and we relate to God in the moment. Oh, you're coming. That's not something I have to fear. That's something I long for. And that type of posture you see all throughout the New Testament. They're longing for the day of the Lord. They want to be where he is. Why? Because he wants to be where we are. And it's it's that infused desire from God into the heart of his people that makes us live and act and think and work very differently. Yeah, um, whereas if we're just more, it's more passive and we just, mm-hmm. we're only reflecting backwards, then there's a sense of gratitude and thankfulness that we can have in our heart, yeah. but it doesn't really have real meaning and bearing upon our life today. And the Advent season should have real meaning and bearing for every yes. sincere, devout Christian. That's so That's good. True. I think too, it, it just, it breathes hope into your life, doesn't it? When you go back and you read the scripture and you know it's been fulfilled exactly, right. you can take hope that again, it will be fulfilled yeah. exactly as right. he is our blessed hope returning yeah he's not he's not a man to lie he made a promise he's he intends to fulfill it yeah. he has a greater longing than we do man that that really that really you know puts things into perspective let me ask you something isaac you know you're you're, you're a pastor you know there, there's a you know a few thousand people that 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 you are stewarding um in terms of like just you know leading a team of people to help care for it for these uh people in our community and you know any pastor, you you know, it, it drops you to a place of prayer, right? Like, it's like, oh, yeah. these things are so impossible. To, <laughs> like, I'm dealing with my own funk in my own life, you know, of course. So, so, but I, I know in the place of prayer, there's been some, you know, visceral, I, I assume this, because, you know, I, 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 I've planted churches before, my parents are pastors. I know the, 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 the burden of a, of a shepherd. Yeah. And um, if, if I'm, you know, feel free to answer this or not, it's your call, but how, how do you pray? In this Advent season, like what are what are your hopes, your longings for the people entrusted to your care? You know, God's flock entrusted to your care. Like, what is it that like you would want mm. that, that they would either understand or do or li- like? Can you reduce it to one or two or three things that like, man, sure. if, if if my you know this family or this the, this youth group or these young adults, if they would da da da, what would that be that that kind of grabs you right now? I think there, you know, there's a lot. I think specific to the season, and and specifically in terms of Advent, um, it would be that we, as a people, we would see the zeal of God to draw near to us, hmm. and and that we we would let that just kind of marinate our hearts. Okay, yeah, like yeah. He is so zealous, He will go to no 
Um, he'll go to any length, any extremity in order to draw near to us. We see that in the first coming. It's powerful. Yeah. Um, that changes the way we relate to him. Uh, one of the things that it does is it causes us to draw near to him. Yeah. So I think I think when I think of Advent, both first coming and second coming, my desire is that in this in this season that the church, both here and and just across the earth, would would see at the center this desire for fellowship. Wow. He came near to us, so we can come near to him. Yeah. yeah. And um, it, that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's all about fellowship with him and an intimate relationship with God, this transcendent, holy God who can know him, who can, who can comprehend a word that he speaks to us. He's this eternal God. And yet here he is in flesh and bones standing in front of us and inviting us into fellowship and union with him. How could we say no to that? Gosh. Yeah. And it's certainly the season where it's felt the most, isn't it? Yeah, the single sure. lady, the whatever. It's like this the widow, the, yeah. the orphan. This is when you want family the most. And so it's definitely felt Absolutely. the most. Uh, no, and th- I think that that is the spirit of Advent. You know, God made a statement. He said, goodwill to all humanity. That's right. Uh, there is a way for you. That's right. There is a solution. Peace the, on earth, goodwill to men. Yeah, and, and I think that that's the invitation, you know. Uh, Jesus came and, and wrapped himself in you know, and skin so that we can understand God, the incomprehensible, unapproachable, you know, like the far transcendent God. Now it delights him. It pleases the father, the fullness of God would dwell in Christ in bodily form. Mm -hmm. He came to reveal the father and it was for relationship. The body of Christ, a father who wanted a family, the, the bridegroom who wanted a bride, of course, the Holy Spirit who's has his dwelling place, who's longing for a dwelling place. Yeah. We're coming together in fellowship. That's a, that's a beautiful revelation, a beautiful yeah. longing, pastoral longing uh, that you have. So thanks for sharing that with us. I know, I know I was like, you know, because this is emotional when you realize like, man, like you're stewarding the souls of people, whatever that means, you know, like you're teaching them, you're discipling them, you're dealing with crisis. There's all this stuff that surrounds it, but... When you're, when you're stripped down to the core in, in a season like this, Advent, yeah. that makes us think about yeah. a certain topic, what is it that, that, that grabs you? And for you to say that, that's, that's inspiring. So I appreciate yeah. that. Oh, Absolutely. It's, it's so good. So good. Well, we're going to continue our conversation on Advent over the next couple of weeks. Actually, next week, we, who do we have with us next week? Matt Candler. Matt yeah. Candler. It's yeah, going to be good. He's a good <laughs> teacher. We love having Matt. Yeah, we're excited to have that. And yeah. uh, so I, I really look forward to continuing the conversation yeah. around Advent. And I want to point you actually, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Justin Rizzo talking about his uh, Christmas album. He's, it's been out for like four or five years. I don't know, a lot longer probably. But it's one of the most inspiring uh, albums that helps my heart look forward to the, the beauty of the it's Advent great. season. It's a great album. So I just, we're going to put a link to it. Listen to it. Let it inspire you. Let it infuse you with, with longing. Um, yeah. But I just want to encourage you to listen to that. Yeah. Oh, and also you did a teaching. Sorry for interrupting. No, you're fine. <laughs> La- last week you did a teaching a little bit about Christmas. You're starting to do that in foreign yeah. church. So we're gonna put a link to that down below so you can kind of listen more from Pastor Isaac Seriously. and and kind of get more resources on on yes. on this. And just a reminder, it's time to put your Christmas tree up, get your stockings out, get your ugly jumpers, and enjoy Christmas. <laughs> 
sing hot, all hot those cocoa. Christmas carols. Exactly. Christmas hot cocoa. Cookies. Well, yes. if you haven't watched our previous podcast, please go ahead and find us on YouTube, yeah. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any outlet that you have. And we certainly look forward to seeing you next week. And Isaac, thank you for being with us. Yeah. Thanks for having we'll me. See you next Friday, 2 p.m. Central Time. Peace. <laughs>